Well, welcome back to the Winter Hoodless Podcast. My name is Nate Robinson, and I'm here with Joseph Tillman. What? Uh, look, look, we're still doing podcasts. We are. This is a, 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 a yet another one. One more. No. And we're not stopping. No. There will be plenty more. Yes, there will be. Cool. Sweet. Today, we are continuing our discussion about um, why life is terrible sometimes. No. Today, we are continuing our discussion on if I grew up in bad place, what do now? And how am I do now? We'll work on the grammar. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Maybe that's going to be next week's episode. <laughs> Jesus and grammar. <laughs> I'll have to invite my wife over that one. <laughs> She's the grammar expert. Every time we have episodes and I have to make the title, I'm just like, I want to call it Jesus and this. <laughs> Jesus and topic. Because that's what it feels like the podcast is. At this yeah, that's, that's fair. <laughs> Anywho... Go to Patreon, $5, click all the buttons around the things, like, subscribe, share, download, other ones. Cool. So we will be getting started with the topic right now. Okay, so say I'm, you know, dumb and know nothing because I didn't learn anything. Uh, how do I, How do I know when I'm getting taken advantage of because of that and my real question is how do i know that you're not trying to take advantage of me mm-hmm. as a church man of christ the lord <laughs> how do you know that? like like because you said that people go from thing to thing to thing and hope that that's gonna be the the thing that makes it good this time and fills the little makes me full or whatever so if i know nothing and i'm looking at all of my options why like what is you've got one op you've you've got an option how do i know it's different from any of the other ones right no i mean i get it that's a fair question yeah you know like in other words like why is religion and in particular, the Christian religion, any different than any of the other options out there. Right. And I know this is a big question. Yeah. <laughs> it's a huge question. Like, right? Like, you would do a whole podcast on this. I mean, this. like, I'm looking at all my, like, I'm looking at all the, the, the get happy quick schemes, and you've got one. So, like, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so what if I told you that becoming, Coming to know Christ would not guarantee your happiness. Well, then uh, I'm going to go find one that <laughs> where people are telling me that I'm going to be guaranteed to be happy. Then you'd be falling <laughs> right into their hands. Right. And I think maybe that's what sets us apart a little bit. Okay. Or what should. I think pop Christianity has promised happiness. Okay. You know. And it's not really that much different than some type of self-help or self-actualization. Like, you do these seven things and life will be great. Mm -hmm. No, that's not, that is not the teachings of Scripture. Scripture does not lay itself out that way. Scripture is so 
<laughs> so opposite of that. Scripture says, hey, if you follow Christ, you're going to get persecuted. Hey, if you follow Christ, people are not going to like you all the time. Hey, if you follow Christ, there's going to be tribulations. But guess what? Jesus is with you. Hey, if you follow Christ, you still may get sick. If you follow Christ, you may still have hardships. Like, those things are all real. And so we're not guaranteeing you happiness. Uh, so I think that's like the first thing I would say. Second thing is that every other thing in this world is something that we're looking around and trying to be satisfied via creation. Okay. In other words, it's, it's, it's man-made from what we see here in creation. Okay. But is that true though? Is that true though? Because, because you've said that demons are behind stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah. Demons can be behind stuff, but I mean like, but what we're, but what we're after, but they were created. Yeah. They were created too. So what we're, but what we're after so often is like, all right, again, if I can get this right job, right person, right income, you know, right house or right car or, you know, um, if I can have the, you know, discover the, 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 the perfect type of alcohol or the perfect drug for me or whatever it may be, right, then I feel like I will be happy or I will, my life will be different or better. Mm-hmm. What I would say about Christianity is Christianity is not an invitation to happiness. Christianity is an invitation to follow the creator. And the thing that's so strikingly different is that I'm not inviting you for your temporal joy or your temporal gain. Mm-hmm. I'm inviting you into something to connect with the creator, the eternal creator, and I'm vi- inviting you into something eternal. And so what people will phrase as, I'm not satisfied, I'm not happy, the the hole in my heart, the whatever. Well, again, that Ecclesiastes 3 passage says, well, it's actually eternity that's set in your heart. And it's that eternity that is crying out and longing. So the only way for that to be satisfied is to connect with the eternal one. And so I'm actually not promising someone temporal happiness. I'm promising that if you come and you know Jesus, you can experience joy and you can experience peace, but it may be in the midst of difficult hardships and difficult circumstances. And what most everything else is promising is come do these seven things and your temporal hardships or circumstances will disappear. Okay. So and you're not promising that any of my temporal hardships will disappear. No. When I come get Jesus. Yeah, when you when you come to know Christ, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that your job's not going to be hard. I'm not saying that marriage is not going to be hard. I'm not saying that raising kids is not going to be hard. I'm not saying that living on a tight budget's not hard. I'm, all those things are hard. But I can say that there is the promise of peace and joy in the midst of those things. And I, listen, we we have to realize that when when we are when we, when we are lacking peace and we're lacking joy as Christians, that there is one to turn to who has promised and says, "Hey, you bring your prayers and your supplications to me, like in Philippians four, I will give you peace." You know that there is one living in us, God in us, who promises us a joy an everlasting joy if we obey his commands. And so I think that peace and joy can be had, 
And I think a comfort could be had because the king of all the universe is with me. God is with me. That brings me comfort. But again, it doesn't necessarily erase all of the hard, the hard things about living in this temporal world. So you actually believe, I mean, obviously, <laughs> you you think that that Jesus is actually going to work better than any of those other things I could try to do to get happy quick every time. Yeah. Yes. Now, am I am I saying that those things won't give you a quick sense of happiness or pleasure? No, I'm not saying that. Like in other words, those things can cause you to be happy. Mm-hmm. Those things can cause you pleasure. I mean, Scripture even says that. Scripture even in Hebrews 11 tells us that that sin is even pleasurable for a season. So which season? <laughs> It means for a time period, not fall, spring, summer, or winter. And so for a time period, yeah, even sin can be pleasurable, but it doesn't promise anything everlasting or eternal. So do I think that Jesus offers the greatest sense of being satisfied, of having pleasure, of having joy, of having peace? I do. So you actually, you think that, even if I'm 97 years old, mm-hmm. that it wouldn't be better to just find a vice until I die that will be fun for a season. Mm-hmm. It's actually better to to get Jesus before I die. <laughs> I do believe that. But, but you said sin's good for a season. I did. So if I'm only going to be alive for one more season, yeah, then why not just do a fun thing that'll satisfy satisfy me for a bit? And you know what I'm saying? Yeah, sure. I, I get you. So two things. Yeah. One, you were created for more than that. Even at 97 years old, you were created for more than just some kind of temporal satisfaction. Okay. Okay. Um, you're created for more than that, and and secondly, it, it the temporal yeah our life ends at some point, and then there we do have to consider the fact that there is an eternity to be spent in, so if I'm in 90, heaven or in hell. So if I'm 97, I'm more thinking about eternity than than I am at this age right now. Right. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I would hope you're thinking about eternity if you're 97 years okay. old. Because that's probably it, true. It reminds me of the the two individuals on the cross. On the cross is next to Jesus. That's my favorite story. So why is that your favorite story? Not that one. Job's my favorite story. Okay. But but that's my other favorite, favorite story. One. Why so? Because he didn't do anything. That guy did nothing. Right. Except say, "Hey Jesus, you're." You're pretty cool. <laughs> and then Jesus was like, see you later, buddy. And right. then they both died and they hung out. Yeah. He didn't do anything. He didn't get baptized either. No, he didn't. Joseph. <laughs> hey, I've always said he, he just don't... died. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't do no good nothings. Right. He did. He just died and went to heaven. And that's why we always say that it's our faith. He right? only did horrible things. Up until that point. Up until that point. And then he and then he truly believed in his heart, yeah. right? That Jesus was indeed the Messiah. Yeah. That he was God, that who he he was who he said he was. And so yeah, so the story is that so Jesus is on the cross and 
there is a criminal on his right on another cross and a criminal on his left on a cross. And these two individuals are, are both criminals. And one of them ends up, as Nate said, confessing and believing that Jesus actually is the Messiah, it is God. And the other one is just cursing him and mocking him and, you know. And so it's interesting that you have two individuals facing death, right? They're, they've been crucified, so they're going to die in any moment. It was like a shoulder angel and a shoulder devil. <laughs> Uh, something like that, but not really. All right, so you two individuals, and and so and they're they're looking at facing death at any moment, at any second, and based upon just crucifixion. And so they're they're going to die. They know they're going to die. One of them is raging in anger about it, and the other one realizes who Jesus is, and says, "Hey, don't forget about me." Remember me. Don't forget about me. And Nate's absolutely right. That guy does absolutely nothing in Jesus other than believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah. And Jesus goes, no worries. You'll be with me in heaven. We got this. And and so I would hope that as we... And I, and I, I think about like the difference. Like So you got one guy who's just raging in anger, and, so, and that's the way he dies. Is in the state of being just angry and mad. And then you have the other one who now, yes, is remorseful for what he's done in his life, but also now has this confidence that he's going to be with Christ forever. And and I would hope that the 97-year-old would not just simply die, one, either raging against God, or two, just being engaging in selfishness, just doing what I wanted to do, but I would hope that they would see that there is a possibility to have peace for all of eternity once one is dead. And that's the you know the biggest thing is to realize that this life is not not it. In other words, yes we die, but there is something after death. Could I not vice myself to my deathbed and then repent? Vice yourself to your deathbed and then like repent. Like okay, go okay. do fun. Yeah, like in other words, I'm just seasonal. gonna choose I'm just gonna choose to do whatever I want to do. And then yeah. right before I know I'm dying, say a prayer and Keep be all up good. With the seasonal sin trends. Yeah, I would, I would, I would highly doubt the genuineness of that repentance at the end if that was the mindset. Okay, so Jesus wouldn't believe me, right? Because <laughs> he knows your heart, right? Okay, and if your heart was just I'm going to do all the things I want to do, and then try to get my ticket punched for heaven by. At the last second, throwing up a Hail Mary and a prayer. No, that's not cutting it. Okay. Okay, so here's the hard part for me about okay. this conversation. Life, if if life was hard for a while, and I went out on my own, and then basically figured out how to, how to live on my own without Jesus, mm-hmm. and stuff is fine. Okay. Like, I'm okay. Sure. And I'm not really the, you know, like the happiest person in the world, but mm-hmm. I'm also not the the saddest person in the world. Right. If I'm in that place, I I understand me personally that being with Jesus is better. But what would you say to someone who like 
why would I do that? Like, I'm okay in what I'm doing. So wh- mm-hmm. how would you, how would you convince somebody like that, that this is the better way to go? Yeah. I mean, it's hard Okay, like, to be like straight up honest about it. I remember I was in India one time and I was with an older gentleman pastor there in India and we were talking about, or I was talking to him about how I perceived it to be so hard to minister there in India. You have so many people that believe in so many other gods and the way Hinduism is, you know, the fact you could believe in, you know, a million different gods, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, okay, you're still a Hindu and you're the Hindu temple and make your sacrifices. And, and so I was, but I was talking to him about how hard it must be to minister in that environment. And then with all the poverty and with all of the, just the different gods and just the amount of lostness that was around. And he replied back to me and he said, yeah, but Joseph, it's much harder to minister in America than it is in India. And I asked him why. And he said, because in India, we, we have a need for God. There may be a million different gods, but everyone knows that there's a need for one. There's a need to believe in one. And he said, but in America, due to your financial s- stability, due to things such as, as welfare and hospitals, and you know, he said, there's, you, in America, there's not a known need or a felt need mm-hmm. for God. And he said, that's a much harder environment to minister in. And so to your question... I agree. I think when individuals find themselves in a place of self-sufficiency, in other words, I'm a self-made person, I'm doing fine financially, in relationships, whatever, and not that things are perfect, and maybe some things are a little bit messy in my life, but overall I'm doing okay, I don't feel a need to know a God, mm-hmm. you know? And so and I think that's a real hard point. I think it's why Jesus was saying that it's how difficult it was for individuals who are wealthy to come into the kingdom. And because it's not that they had wealth, it's that they didn't realize or didn't, there was not a sense that there was this need for Jesus, this need for the kingdom. So So, even Jesus recognized that difficulty. So comparatively, our whole country is wealthy. Sure. To the rest of the the world. Oh, to the rest of the world, absolutely. Yeah. Because even the most, you know, poorest of individuals here, if they need medical treatment, they can go to a hospital and be seen Mm -hmm. in an ER, and they're going to be seen and treated. And so there's health benefits, there's, you know, I mean, my goodness, there's, there's food benefits, you know, and... And it's just, I mean, even housing to a degree. And so I, the climate here is just so different. So then you take those, like, basic necessities are met, in other words. So if most of your basic necessities are met, and then you're living on, you're living on top of that, and now you not only have what you need, but you even have some of what you want. You may not have everything you want, but you've got some of the things you want, and life has become comfortable to you. Then, yeah, like why? Why would you need Jesus? And I think that's the difficult part for anyone that's in that situation. 
but it doesn't mean that the gospel cannot impact that individual. I mean, the 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 gospel is the power of salvation or the, or the power to 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 all people for salvation. And so um, when an individual is looking at me and going, well, I don't have a felt need for that, kind of hard to disagree with them mm-hmm. in that. And the, what I would share with them, though, is, but you're only looking at things through a temporal lens and not an eternal lens. And, and that may or may not matter to them. They may be happy with, I'm going to do my life the way I want it here on earth, die, and whatever happens, happens. And that may be their prerogative. Um, but I do think that there is, uh, I think it's a hard part. I think Jesus acknowledged it as a hard part for individuals that have no sense of need for God or for Jesus or for the kingdom. And I think we just keep, <laughs> you keep speaking the gospel to them and you just pray that, you know, the power of the gospel, the power of testimony can, you know, can bring forth a revelation in their life and their heart that they need Jesus. Because the bottom line is that the gospel has leveled all individuals, regardless of class or race or, in, you know, the environment you grew up in. It brings an even playing field because all have, you know, as you hear this phrase before, all have fallen short of the glory of God. But what that really means is none of us have met the standard of God. Mm. None of us have met that standard. Therefore, all of us are in the same playing field that we, in the same, you know, that leveling has happened. We're all equal in that sense that we all need God for salvation. But whether that matters to some people or not is a whole different question. But I also know a lot of people who make a lot of money and who have come to know Jesus, not because they were raised in it or not because they had always been following Jesus, but they had an encounter with the gospel and it transformed their life. And so um, I don't think that wealth is a determining factor of if someone will come to know Christ or not, but I do think it can present a challenge. So in the context of this topic i was thinking about this question in the way of if i if i had a hard growing up or a hard you know hard life before now and i finally feel as comfortable as i've ever felt through hard work on my own or whatever if sure. i'm in that place and you say hey Give control to Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, I'm finally here. Things aren't chaotic and and stressful anymore. And, and it's taken me a long way to get here. And no. I mean, so what, what do you say to that answer? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I hear it. I, and I've heard that. I've heard that response before from people. Okay. Um, and I guess I would eventually, I would say that eventually you won't have control over everything. Okay. We can't control everything. We can't control. There's, there's so many things that we simply cannot control. And I think that it's an illusion to think that we can control. You know, the idea of I'm a self-made person. I have, you know, picked myself up by the bootstrap, made it this far I have worked, I have done, I have, you know, and there are people who have really worked hard. I'm not minimizing 
individuals who have really worked hard to get to where they are in life. Uh, there's people who have worked really hard to get out of horrible situations and, you know, quote unquote, take some control of their life and point it in a positive direction. But because I'm I would, not necessarily talking about like, hey, I don't live in this area anymore. I'm talking right. about my headspace is finally good. Right. And you're asking me to also hand that over to something else. Yeah. Like my feelings and my, uh-huh. you know what I'm saying? Like, sure. Everything inside me is not mine now. Like, <laughs> like, and I'm finally gone through all the therapy or whatever. Right. And, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So that's kind of what I'm talking about. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a great, what a great question. And I think that if we, I guess I would say that giving up control is hard for any of us. Okay. Like, even if I'm a Christian, it's hard to give up control. You know, like, I'm sitting here as a pastor, and I'm supposed to say the spiritual thing of, yeah, oh, yeah, just trust Jesus with everything. I've given all control up, right? I've surrendered all. Um, You know, use cute little cliches like let go and let God, and you know, and uh, he handled this stuff, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'll just do this. It's easy. And that's just not the case. Like, I think it's a constant a constant movement of handing over control. And so maybe at first it begins for someone of saying, yeah, I'm handing over control of my, of my spiritual condition. I'm handing over the control of the fact that I know that I have done things wrong and that I know that I need a savior. And so therefore I know that I need to ask for forgiveness. I know that I want to have eternity with God. And so that's the first step, right? It's the first step of control is I realize that I am in need. I realize I cannot, there's nothing I can do to secure my eternity. There's nothing I can do to earn forgiveness. And so therefore, I give up the control of trying to do those things. And that's that first step. And then I think from there, you make other steps, and you're like, all right, Lord, well, I'm going to trust you to, I'm going to trust you with my past, that there's nothing I can do about my past. It just, it is what it is. And I'm going to ask you to work out the things that have been broken. I'm going to ask you to work out the relationships that have been broken. I'm going to trust you to redeem all the things that have gone wrong that I've done by my own doing or that just happened around me. I'm trusting you to redeem those things. I'm trusting you that your word is true when it says that you can work out all things for good. And so for those who are in Christ Jesus, and so therefore, I'm going to trust you with those, my past. And then it may be, all right, then I'm going to trust you with my present. I'm going to trust you that with right here and right now, that that you're good, that you can take care of me. And then maybe eventually you trust you with my future and and it doesn't necessarily have to go in that order of past, present, future. I, it, I think a lot of people actually have an easier time trusting God with their present than their past and with mm-hmm. their present than their future. And and sometimes people have an easier time trusting God with the future than they do with their past because they feel like the past has been so marred, jacked up, messed up, um, and there's so much hurt there. And so, and then you're getting into the idea of things like, God, I'm going to trust you with my relationships. I'm going to trust you with my finances. I'm going to trust you with my emotional health. And I don't think any, I don't think all of that just happens in one fell swoop. 
I think it's a continual process of, of, of us learning to give over control to Jesus of all areas of our life. And so to an individual that is saying, man, I just, I just can't give up all this. Okay, but what, what can you? What, where can we start? And let's start there. And then let's progressively move forward. So the also part of this, like, I guess the idea of learning a new whole way of life mm-hmm. and living. Sure. And having to change the way I'm, I'm actually approaching things and all mm-hmm. of that. That's a, that's a, like, especially after learning how to do that for myself after growing up in a different way. You know <laughs> sure. what I'm saying? It's just like you're asked. It's a, it's a whole other way of living again. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I just learned my way of doing it. Sure. And it's going okay. Right. So why would I want to live differently? Okay. Why would I care? <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I mean, I, and I get it. I mean, if you're handing, if you have, if you feel like you have been able to bring a sense of stability to your own life, um, then I, I completely get why you would be like, nope, not trusting anybody but me. It's like throwing a wrench in. Like, why would I introduce? Right. If it's, if it's not broke, yes, don't fix it. Right. <laughs> I mean, I get it. And, and I, and I do think that there are individuals that feel that way, that feel like, no, everything's going pretty good in my life right now. I don't want to introduce anything else. Or I've worked really hard to get to this point in my life. I'm, I cannot give up control or try to approach and do things in a new way. What I would say is hopefully some of the things that you've learned along the way are actually healthy things that are that still apply to the kingdom of God. And so okay. maybe it's not as far of a jump as you think it is. And so, all right, so for example, I think people, like really what you're talking about is culture shock. Like maybe. And in other words, like if if I have a culture, if I have a way of, if I have a way of living, doing, being, mm-hmm. that's one way. And then I'm all of a sudden thrown into a whole new culture, way of living, being, doing, thinking, believing. It's like, that's shocking, right? Mm-hmm. So I remember when my first, my very first trip to India, I go to India and it's like I'm in sensory overload, right? Sounds are different. The smells are different. The tastes are different. The sight is different. Like everything's different, okay? And so, um, I mean, even the touch is different because I'm eating food with my hands and not silverware. Mm-hmm. And so everything is just all of your senses are just getting bombarded. And it says, and so I'm wrestling with all of these senses, just absolutely being overwhelmed. And the question then is like, all right, so how do, how do I do with it? Like, how do I deal with it? Mm-hmm. If I'm in culture shock, how do I deal with it? And what you're taught in culture shock is because you're being hit with so many things that are different, you're asked, what are the things that are the same? Okay. What things are there that are similar to what you've experienced before? What things are there that you have that have a, maybe a similar, whether it be taste or a smell or a look or a feel or you know your hearing? Like w- what is similar? 
And then you try to find these, like what you call posts, you find these like little posts to hold on to of things that are similar. And now instead of feeling like disjointed, out of control in this new culture, you feel actually like, okay, here's, okay, there are things that are similar. And now I can hold on to these as I begin to acclimate myself to these new things. And I think the kingdom of God is very similar to that. I think when we come to know Jesus, we are introduced to a whole different culture. It's a whole new kingdom, right? A whole new way of living, thinking, believing. In so many ways, it's all new. But there are things, I think, in every one of us that we go, okay, but that's similar. I've learned this, and maybe I never applied it to God or his kingdom, but I no, this, this sounds similar. Like, do good to other people. Okay, I can I can I can work with that. Don't be completely selfish. Okay, I can I can work with that. And so you start finding the things that are similar, and there and from that point you start grabbing hold of the things and acclimating yourself to the things that are new. And so for an individual that says, There's no way I just I everything's going good, I just cannot do a whole new way of living. I guess I would say you're right. It's going to be jarring coming into the kingdom. But in the midst of that, there are things that are going to be similar that you can hold on to. We're not, and there's a lot of things that are within us that God put in us. There's a lot of desires, passions, dreams, hopes, natural skill sets that God has given us. And now we're learning, oh, that's God that gave it to us. That's not just me. And now I can begin to use those things for his glory or be mindful that they were given to me from him. And so those things aren't being asked to be thrown out either, right? I think sometimes it's like, well, man, if I start following Jesus, he's going to ask me to do something crazy that I don't want to do. He's going to ask me to move to Africa or something. And I, and that's not always the case. And most of the time, that's not the case. I think he he's created us. He's made us with these bents and these desires, these passions in us. Some of them are not from the Lord, and some of them are. There's dreams in us, hopes in us, some of them from the Lord, some of them that are not from the Lord. But I think there's those things you start to discern, oh, this is God that put that in me. This is God's working in me. And now it's not that everything's not just shifting and changing. And in the on top of all of that, I've again, this is the biggest thing of it all, right? Is I've discovered there's one who really can control all things when I can't. Because eventually, there's going to be things where the ball drops. And I cannot control everything. But I can trust the one who can. And so I would encourage an individual that is wrestling with these things to say, you know what, what are things that, yeah, I feel like I got control of most of my life, but let me own the things I don't have control of. And wouldn't it be more assuring to know that there's one who controls it? And then more than anything else, what if there really is a creator who created me to know him? What if that was really the case? And wouldn't that be worth giving up everything for, right? Like, what if, if there was a creator who created me to know him, wouldn't I want that? You know, wouldn't that be the highest prize, in other words? Of, uh, wouldn't that be the highest gain? So do people struggle, like, I feel like you've said this already, but people who are already Christians still struggle to give up control. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Why? 
I think we're we we've all none of us are perfect yet, right? None of us are in these perfect glorified bodies. None of us completely think like Jesus, feel like Jesus, and so we have these ways in us that still. I mean, we're a pretty independent people, you know. But is that not the point of the act of getting saved? Is to what? To give up control. Sure. Okay. Uh, well, that's not the point of it. That's one of the things that happens because of it. But isn't that the main thing that happens? The, yeah, the main thing is that I am realizing that I have been made by a creator that I have fallen short of that creator, that I'm, I'm not meshing up with him. And and therefore, I know that I need a savior to bridge that gap. And so I accept Christ, I follow Jesus, and in the midst of that, he is asking me to be his Lord because he is asking me to be, be his God, right? So if he's my God, if he's my Lord, then by default, I should be handing over everything to him. And so, yes, that is what God wants is for us to hand over control to him, right? The Romans 12, 1, to present our bodies as you know living sacrifices, which are a pleasable and acceptable act of worship unto God. So, yes, the Lord is saying, here, give your life unto me, right? Is that not telling us to kill ourselves for Jesus? <laughs> it's metaphorical. <laughs> So, you know, it's kind of the whole thing of, you know, when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Yeah, there's a, that what he's saying is there, you know, die to self. In other words, quit trying to be so self-sufficient. Quit trying to be so self-controlling. You don't have to be that way anymore. You can trust me to do this. And so. Wait, you said you don't have to be that way anymore. Do you think that way is hard? That which way is hard? Is try, do you think trying to have control of your over your own life is hard. I think I think it can get to a point of being exhaustive. Okay. Because I think we're always like to try to hold on control for everything. That's exhausting. I mean, but what if you only want control over like the the main things? <laughs> <laughs> I still think I still think it's whether it's whether you want to label it as exhausting or not. I still think it's hard, but I also think it's hard I think it's really hard to give up all that control. Okay. So I'm not denying that part. I think it's like when he's saying deny yourself, I think that's hard because it goes against what we naturally want to do. Mm -hmm. Um, When he says take up your cross, that's hard because we naturally want to be selfish. Or I say selfish. It's not just that we all want to be selfish, selfish, selfish. It's just that we we want to, we, we tend to look after self. You know, we kind of like, let me look after our own, myself and my own. I'm going to look after them first. Mm -hmm. And so we tend to do that naturally. And he's calling us to say, no, give up everything to follow me. But I know that in the giving up of control to follow him, he's asking me to give up one thing at a time. He's not asking me to give up like, yes, he's ultimately the, it's everything, but it doesn't start with everything. Okay. It'd be too overwhelming. So he starts in this area of our life. Hey, why don't you give up control of me? Starts in this area. Why don't you? And I say give up control. Like, why don't you? In other words, why don't you trust me? Trust me in this area of your life. Trust me in this area. And then you. And then I think the Lord keeps expanding that in our lives, and we just continually are giving up more and more and trusting Him more and more. 
And because we discover he's good and he is trustworthy. When we discover he's good and trustworthy with some things, we can begin to believe that he's good and trustworthy with other things. And so uh, I think, yes, we call him Lord initially, but I also think it's a process for that to become an actuality in our lives. So quick thing to people who are just fine now. What's the short, the short little whatever? Who aren't Christians and see you as a Christian and go, eh, that's good for you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, 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 I guess I would first of all say I get it. Yeah, I get that. I get the fact that you're like, okay, good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I also get the fact of, you know, hey, you're kind of doing your thing and you're fine. Like, don't bother me. You got it. I, I understand that. And then I would also say, but you were really made for something more than you realize. You were made to not just not just live here on this earth for how many ever years we have and do our best to make it. And even I mean and even in the midst of that, you can have fun and enjoy. I'm not saying people are just making it or miserable, right? You're having fun, you're enjoying it, you're fine to a degree. But I would say that we were still made for more than that. We were made for something eternal. We were made for something more than just than just creation itself. We were made to engage with a creator. And if we were made to know our creator, isn't it worth exploring that to know him? Because what if it actually is better? What if it actually is better to know our creator and to walk with him through life than just to deal with creation, work with creation, handle creation, and you know, and, and that's kind of the limit, the scope of it all. And I just think that knowing the Creator is better. So I guess that's what I would say: is that I get where you're at, and I know you won't be able to have control of everything forever, and that eventually that control will drop. And there's one who is the Creator who really does have control over everything, and He can be trusted because He's not only powerful as a Creator, He's really good. And so um, that may sound cliche and I don't, you know, that's fine. Uh, But I just really believe that. I believe that we were made to know our creator. Well, this has been the one I heard this podcast. Um, That was a lot of stuff about control. I didn't realize it was going to be a bunch of control stuff. Yeah, but you can give up control, man. Yeah. Give it up. All right, well, you do the end then. (laughs) I'm giving control back. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> you can you can find us. <laughs> you can find the podcast on everywhere that does podcasts and YouTube and Rumble. You can follow updates on the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at when I heard this podcast. Go to Patreon, five dollars. Click all the buttons around the things and all the videos and all the podcasts and all the places that we have podcasts. Like, subscribe, share, download, and uh, bookmark. That's a button that you can click near a thing next to the podcast. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Nate Robinsoff, and you can follow Joseph on Instagram at Rev Joe T. This has been the one I heard this podcast, and we will see you guys next time. Bye.